Hey, it's Stephanie, and this is Kids These Days, a podcast brought to you by grant funding from the Kansas Department for Children and Families. Hey everyone, it's Haney, and I'm just going to dive in. So now that we are through our anti-bias series, we're going to start getting back to our roots and really exploring some of those hot topics that we know about in the world of early childhood. Things that we've seen and talked about and experienced time and time again. One of these that I've recently been circling around a lot is a pretty common topic, biting. Yes, biting. And I don't mean biting an apple or biting a sandwich. You know what I mean. I mean one child biting another, or you, or biting themselves. Any way you see it, it's a topic that we've got to address. And there is just so much that goes into this behavior. I'm actually going to break it into a two-part episode. So in this week's episode, we're going to talk about understanding the why of biting. And then next week, we'll look at how to approach a biting situation. And as Sarah and I have said time and time and time again, all behavior, all behavior is communication. So what does that mean for our little land sharks? It means that just with any other behavior, when children bite, they are trying to say something. They are trying to communicate. And it's our job to figure out what they're trying to say. So how do you stop biting? Well, that's the magical question. Everybody asks that. And I wish I had a magic answer for you. Just a way to flip the switch, jam the rotor, unplug the cord, whatever it may be. But I do have an answer. And that answer is figure out the why that they're trying to tell you. Then you know how to address the behavior. So in figuring out behavior, we have lots of reasons why. It could be developmental for their age, or they have unmet emotional needs, or there's an issue in the environment or the schedule. Maybe they just don't know any better and they need taught, or related maybe to the child's temperament or cultural differences. There's just so many reasons why behavior happens, and often a lot of those most puzzling behaviors come out in the most unwelcome ways. So as we think about this, and we think about the why of behavior, we have to do some sleuthing, right? We have to put on our investigative cap and figure out some background information. So we have to figure out things like when and under what circumstances does that biting occur? Who is the child biting? Maybe it's the same child or maybe it's a different child every time. And we have to figure out how does the child who bites react when the child they have bitten becomes upset. Or maybe we need to know, is the biting happening more or less frequently during different parts of the day? And what other things do we notice in the child's patterns of biting? And all of this information needs to happen in a data gathering stage. That's so we can truly understand what's going on. Because the child isn't going to come up to you and say, you know, Miss Stephanie, I bit Tommy over there because he was three inches into my four-foot bubble. And I really, I'm just on edge today because my mom gave me a dinosaur t-shirt and I wanted to wear my race car one. And the ambient temperature is not my preferred 76 degrees. No, 
They are not going to tell you that. They're going to do what is natural and still appropriate for their young, still learning, still developing brains and bodies. So they're going to react from the brainstem, meaning that they won't take the time to think through the logical scenario of it at all. They can't. They physically cannot. Rather, they'll just react, not respond. They will just react. So we have to gather our information. And we do this by talking with a family to see if they have any insight. We talk with our colleagues and other staff members to get their view of the incidents. And we, I think this is the most important here. We make observations. And if you don't already have something, I would highly suggest some form, some document, some way to track all of the incidences. And when you do this, it is a lot, lot easier to see the patterns. If you don't have something, I've got a simple log that I've used in the past and I'll have it linked in the show notes. You are more than welcome to print it off, use it if you want a different copy or a different way of doing it. Just give me a shout and I'll get you taken care of. Anyways, when we use the log, we start to see patterns. Oh, the biting usually occurs at this time of day, or they're usually doing this, or here's what's going on around them. When we use the logs, we can more easily see the what, the why, the how of the biting, and then we can interpret it. So does your log show that the child bites maybe shortly before breakfast or lunch or snack time each day? They might be trying to tell you that they're hungry. So you might consider adding in an additional snack or changing schedule to meet their needs or talking with parents to make sure they're getting nutritious foods at home too. Or maybe your log shows that the biting happens when other children are nearby or the child seems frustrated with something in the room or it happens a lot in one particular area. This could be due to space and environment. Maybe there's too much crowding in one area or a child gets too close. So maybe you've got to look at how you can arrange or rearrange your room. If biting happens when some simple verbal command or communication could have been used instead, this can tell us that the child needs some support in communication. Usually, language development is one of the last things that is controlled by the prefrontal cortex instead of the brainstem. I'm gonna say that one again. Language development is one of the last things that is controlled by the prefrontal cortex instead of the brainstem. Think about even, think about your reactions as an adult. Are there times where you might get so mad that you can do nothing but cry or scream or hit the wall or maybe all three at the same time, right? That's because you're in your brainstem, and that's us as an adult. So we can't possibly expect our little kiddos who are still learning the language itself to be able to quickly and easily grab the words they need when they have big emotion reactions. So we address this by adding some nonverbal supports maybe some simple baby sign language or modeling for them how to respond to another child. And here is another very, not very small, but it is very mighty soapbox for me. You know I love my soapboxes. 
when we work with children who are still trying to figure out the whole language thing, simply saying, use your words, is not going to cut it. We make a good attempt, and I know that the, that the uh, intent is there to help scaffold their learning and using language to communicate their needs. But really, when we say use your words, if you think about it, if they had them and they knew what they needed to say, they would have said it. So for children that are still developing those verbal skills, talking while mad or upset is difficult. And then just hearing use your words from the adult is frustrating. Instead, we can give specific guidance to help them through that heightened period of emotion. We can say, tell her what you didn't like, or explain what you need, or tell her you want it back, or simply say stop. As with all things early childhood, you'll base that guidance that you provide based on the developmental needs of your child, as long as you don't just say, use your words. Another common observation, when a child is frustrated, if something is aggravating them, if they try and try and try and they just can't get it, it can be frustrating. Ever tried to open a jar of pickles? Frustration, right? We get mad, we get upset when we try and try and it's just not happening. So we have to know what is developmentally appropriate. And it's our job to prevent scenarios that may be out of reach or too difficult for our children. Because when they get frustrated, they go to their brainstem. And how do they react in their brainstem? With behavior, unwelcome behavior. So we have to know what is developmentally appropriate and provide those materials and environments that can challenge them while also not being too challenging. And sometimes, back to our observations, sometimes our observations show no pattern or routine. Nothing is bothering them, their schedule is fine, we know they're not frustrated. Well, we also know that sometimes children seek connection and attention through challenging behaviors. These are the kiddos that have been molded to believe, hey, any attention is good attention. What I always say is the behavior we focus on is what we get more of. So if we're a child in a classroom that's not getting the level of attention that we need or want, we're going to start demonstrating behaviors to get that attention, whether it's at the detriment and the pain of our peers or not. So to fix this, we start focusing on the good. Any moment of time, hard to come by, I know, I know, hard to come by, but hear me out. Any extra moment of time that we have, we want to spend it building positive relationships and being intentional about spending time with those children that maybe just need an extra hug or two. Another biting observation would be teething. We see this when biting is happening frequently throughout the day without any observable or discernible events to quote-unquote cause the behavior. Sometimes they just need something to help soothe those aching gums. And in this situation, we can help to provide a variety of teething materials and we explain that if they want to bite, here's what's acceptable to do so on. And finally, here's one that I think that we miss a lot is when biting happens when a lot is going on in the classroom or home or wherever, what envi whatever environment they may be in. 
So whether it's a transition or there's a lot of children around or a lot of things that's happening all at once, when a child gets overstimulated or overly excited, they can actually bite as a response. So what goes into play here, it's called, it's what's called sensory threshold. So every child, every person really, has different levels of sensory thresholds. Think about, think about how you work best when you have a big project. Me, I need to work in a quiet environment. The lights are dim, there's no sound, except for maybe some light jazz coming through my computer speakers. Sarah, uh, she does her best work in a coffee shop with people buzzing around and loud noises. We have different levels of sensory threshold and our children do too. So we see that some can handle the excitement more easily than others. And often when children bite because they are overstimulated, it's because we've maxed out their sensory capacity and they're seeking some form of release. So what do we do? We can find ways to reduce the stimulation. We might dim the lights, we reduce noise levels on transitions, we space children out so they're not feeling squished together. Whatever it may be, we can look for ways to handle that sensory input with respect to their threshold level. Okay, I know I've thrown a lot at you, so I want you to spend some time digesting this. Maybe you currently have a child who bites and need to do some work to explore the why. Or maybe you've had one before, or will have one in the future, whatever it may be. It's pretty much a guarantee that at one point or another, you have a child who bites in your care. So spend some time this week reflecting on the why and understanding why they're behaving the way that they are. And next week, we'll jump into some responses. How to approach, what to say, how to say it, yada, yada, yada. And in the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. Do you have any challenging biting behaviors that you just can't figure out? Let me know. I'll see what I can do about it. Until then, I wish you well. Kids These Days is a co-production of the Casido Kids Infant Toddler Specialist Network and Casido Workforce Development Programs. These programs are supported through a grant from the Kansas Department for Children and Families, Child Care, and Early Education Services. However, information or opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the position or policy of the agency, and no official endorsement should be inferred. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, or want to share your practice related to this or a previous episode, please email us at kidsthesedayspod at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at at Kids These Days Pod. Be sure to check out the resources for this episode in the show notes. And don't forget to rate, review, and hit subscribe. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by Stephanie Haney and music track Hackbeat by Kevin McLeod.